I want everyone to take their Shabbos meals to the next level. Like you're anyways putting in the work, you're anyways hosting, at least just make it a meaningful experience for your guests. Hi, I'm Tanya, and you are listening to Episode 6 of Human and Holy, a podcast by The Tanya Project, where we discuss spiritual ideas in human terms. Today's episode is sponsored, Le'ilor Nishmas Yochavitova Bas Avraham, by a friend who learned Tanya with her. May her nishama have an aliyah, and may her family find comfort. To sponsor an episode or become a supporter on Patreon, please reach out at humanandholy at gmail.com. Today's episode is a Yud Shvat special. Yud Shvat is an important date on the Hasidic calendar that is coming up in less than two weeks. So in honor of that day, I'm going to give you a little bit of historical background of that date, which is the anniversary of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's acceptance of Chabad leadership. I'm also going to give a quick rundown of Basi Lagani, the words that he shared on Yud Shvat, and what they mean to me. When I'm done with that, I have an interview with Chava Witkis, who shares how the Rebbe's message to the world impacts her daily life and communal work. Chava shares some practical tips on how no matter who or where you are, you can be a part of the Rebbe's vision for the world in leading us towards a more beautiful, connected, and godly place. It was 1951, six years after the Holocaust, a battered generation seeking to rebuild. They were gathered in honor of the Yartzeit, the date of passing of the previous Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, when suddenly, after a year of resisting the role of Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, now famously known as the Lubavitcher Rebbe, began to chant the holy tune of the mimer, the Hasidic discourse, that was reserved for special days and, most importantly, was only used by a Rebbe. The room fell silent. The Hasidim held their breaths. This moment was the defining moment. It was the birth of a generation and a new future for the Chabad movement. So began the Rebbe's words on that day, on Yud Shvat, January 17, 1951, 70 years ago. The opening line of the mimer, Basi Lagani Achosikala, is translated as, I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. It is a line pulled from the book of Shir Hashirim, Song of Songs, written by King Solomon as a metaphor for the relationship that God has with his people. Referring to the world as a garden is a concept with some heavy biblical roots. 
You might recognize it from the very first garden that shows up in the Torah, the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were given free access to all of the heavenly delights. God only had one request of them, not to eat from the tree of knowledge. But their curiosity got the better of them. They ate from the tree, and God expelled them from the garden. And the Shekhinah, the divine presence, went into hiding. A couple subsequent sins and the garden became a distant memory. God could no longer be so clearly seen in the world's landscape. And none of this was a mistake. It was all preparing us for this very moment. The Shekhinah's return started with Avraham, the father of the Jewish people who began to expose the darkness of idolatry that his society was so consumed with and reveal the godly reality of the world. It continued from generation to generation of righteous leaders all the way until Moses, who was the seventh. And according to the Torah, all sevens are cherished. So he had the honor of being the leader through whom the Torah was given to the Jewish people. He was the final link to bring the Shekhinah back into the world. And then we have us. Seven generations from the first Chabad Rebbe. In our own exile. Lately, I look at the news and my instinct is, God, this world is a jungle. Look at these broken systems. Broken people. Pain. Hardship. Loneliness. Injustice. I look at the news. I look at the suicide rates rising. I look at our country falling apart. And I am filled with feelings of fear and overwhelm. I have to check myself constantly. 70 years ago, the Rebbe said, This world is a garden. It began as a garden. And that is where we will return. But this time, it's up to us. We are a generation of gardeners. I can choose to see the mud as a reflection of filth, or I can choose to see it as an opportunity for planting. I could see our reality as a doomsday reality, or I could see it as an empowering responsibility. When the world feels dark and load unbearably heavy, When I look out into the world and struggle to see potential, I remind myself of this story. Someone once asked the fifth Chabad Rebbe, known as the Rebbe Rashab, what is a chassid? A chassid, he said, is a lamplighter. He goes around at night with a torch and kindles each lamppost on the street. And he knows that the fire he carries doesn't belong to him. He is only revealing the potential for light that is already within each lamp. The man responded, well, what if the lamp is in a desert? Then you go out into the desert and you light the lamp there. But what if the lamp is at sea? The man continued. Then you jump into the sea and you light the lamp. The man persisted. Well, there's a problem. I don't see lamps. The Rebbe Rashab looked the man squarely in the eye and said, Then you aren't a lamplighter. How do you become a lamplighter? You begin with yourself. 
If you are not connected to the lamp within you, you cannot see it within others. The lamp is a metaphor for the soul. A lamplighter doesn't create light. She just takes it from its source and shares it with other lampposts who are also thirsting for fire. If it's hard to see lamps, perhaps you don't see it in yourself. Start with your own soul and see what that does for your ability to share it. If you are tapped into the part of you that is doing the best it can to connect to God under every circumstance, then it becomes a lot easier to believe the same about others. If you are tapped into wholeness, then you will awaken the innate wholeness in others. You do not have to create the light from scratch. We are not engineering a garden. Our generation is simply about returning to the original garden, only this time so much deeper because it's happening through our choices. We are bringing the divine presence back here into the mess of the physical world through our slow, personal, and radical transformations. God wants to be in the lower realms, in your desert, in your mud, when you are drowning at sea. He wants a home here, nowhere else. He wants the struggling humans. He wants the flower that pushes its way out of the sidewalk cracks. He wants the deep work you are putting in to connect to the soul within you and allow it to manifest in every area of your life. I am confident that in my lifetime, in our lifetime, we will be able to look God in the eye and say, welcome to your garden. Welcome to your world. Look around you. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Hi, I'm Chava Wickes. So I'm a mom of three. I live in Crown Heights. We live right across the street from 770. I'm a writer by profession. So that's my remote freelance job I do while my kids nap. Along with that, uh, something that I'm passionate about and that I also define myself by is our community work. We started about four and a half years ago when we moved here, and we've just been going strong ever since bringing together young guys and girls here in Crown Heights. So we do that a lot, and it's something that I love, care about, and I'm very passionate about. Yeah, I would love to talk more about it and share some of that inspiration with you and maybe yeah, if I can inspire anyone to bring people together in their own communities, that would be really nice. I love that. What inspires you in your life to bring people together? I think a lot of it comes from the Rebbe. I grew up on campus in Newark, Delaware. My parents, every Friday night, we had however many people wanted to come. It was always an open invitation. It wasn't it wasn't the kind of thing that like there was ever a break or it was ever like, is it convenient for us? Is it not convenient? Do we just want to go to sleep early? Do we like, you know, and that's like once, you know, once now I'm an adult, I realize like, you know, you don't have to have Shabbos every week. You could do just like, oh, we're going to have soup and go to sleep. But like here it was every week, full course meal. My mother would make all the food. 
my father would officially like fundraise for it, whether he was successful or not. It didn't matter. The meal ended up happening anyway. Just like growing up in that kind of environment had a big effect on me. And like, I feel maybe this responsibility to like open up my home. It's not to not only have a home that's for myself, but also like for other people. I know everyone always says, oh, I want to open home. Oh, I want to open home. But when it comes down to it, once people get married and people have guests when they want guests, that's, you know, <laughs> that's yeah. what they mean by open home. But like when what I mean by open home is much more deep and much more uh, involved. And I think that, yeah, I always wanted that kind of lifestyle of like, just being very given over to others and having people over a lot and sharing with others and marking special times in the calendar with other people. I love that, that a lot of people say open home, but sometimes open home means I have guests when I'm in the mood versus I actually like my home is open to you whenever you need it and however I can be there for you. So in honor of your spot, we're going to talk a little bit about Basi Lagani, the Hasidic discourse that the Lubavitch Rebbe said when he accepted the leadership. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what the Rebbe includes in that discourse and how that inspires you in your life to have this open home and be a community builder. So we're the seventh generation. We're the generation that's going to bring Mashiach. So that means also Mashiach's coming any day. So what does that mean? How does that affect how we're going to live our lives? So for my father, it meant leaving a career to open a Chabad house in Newark, Delaware. For me, it means, you know, maybe sacrificing a little bit more of my short-term relaxation, pleasure, indulgence, you know, comfort for a bigger picture. I think it's a special time before your Shabbat to kind of unpack what that means. Seventh generation, we're the seventh from the first. So... The first was Avram Avinu. He was the first Chabad rabbi. He opened up a Chabad house in the middle of the desert. Four doors on each side, always open. And he just had all these characters just come by. Whoever was passing by in the desert, stopping in, hungry, needed a meal. I mean, we've been traveling. You know, I've been to Chabad houses in Thailand, Nicaragua, Ecuador. And like, you know, when we're traveling, you come to these Chabad houses. Like you really, it really feels like the kind of like that little tent in the desert because it's you know, anyone passing by, all these different travelers coming through, and it's such a diverse crowd. Yeah, so that was Avraham. He started it all. And from Avraham and on, it just kept coming down more and more. All the holiness, Hashem's purpose of creation, just kept coming through in each generation up until Maishar Abenu. That was when the Torah was given. And the same cycle of the seven happens again with us. And we ended off by being the seventh generation. So with us, it starts with the Chabad Rebbeim. It starts with the Alter Rebbe who took Hasidus and turned it into Chabad Hasidus. He really like implemented it in a way that people could understand it, learn it. It became a body of thought. And then it went, each Chabad Rebbe after him, like drew it down a little bit more. They explained it more. They elaborated more. They made it more accessible. The Friedrich Rebbe made it, print started, like, you know, people started printing it. They translated it. And I would say the Lubavitch Rebbe, our Rebbe, the seventh generation, like really kind of finish that off by setting up this idea of shluchas, which I would say it's more than outreach. It's literally taking over the world. I don't know how else to say it. It's like an army almost. It's like a strategy. It's basically sending people out when they're young and inspired and putting them in every corner of the universe, wherever that may be, wherever, if your corner is Eastern Parkway in Kingston, if your corner is, you know, an island off the coast of Malta, I don't know, wherever you are, it's what the Rebbe wanted was to spread these Hasidic teachings. 
I love that idea that being the seventh generation gives us the responsibility to finish the job that was started by Avraham. I like how you paralleled Avraham as the OG Shliach, which is so true, like the OG Chabad rabbi, seriously, with his open doors and his tent, and that's what we continue to do. And it sounds to me like you're redefining Shluchos a little bit in that outreach doesn't only mean going to the far-flung corners of the world and setting up a Chabados there, but it also means having a truly open home in the middle of Crown Heights. Exactly. We're living amongst religious people, Chabad people even. Yeah, it's wherever you are. I mean, it's also whoever you are. I don't think a person needs to be a rabbi. I don't think a person needs to know a lot to open their home and to build community. It's the imperative of our generation as a seventh generation. And I think we see it even more now after Corona and everything. Things got smaller, things downsized. And there's been a trend going on now for many years, but it's just amplified with synagogue membership, you know, declining. Young people are not into organized religion. They haven't bought in. I mean, this Gen Z that's coming up, that's not even me. I'm a millennial, but I'm saying the the younger generation, I mean, they're like, this is like the TikTok kids. They're not going to synagogue. They're not paying a membership to come twice a year, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. They're just not. Like, we have to sort of redefine what being Jewish means, being having a Hasidic lifestyle means. That's the new mission of the seventh generation, the seventh generation way. I would love to hear how you specifically redefine the definition of shlichus. I hear that you feel that responsibility as a member of the seventh generation. So how do you in your life personally do that and open your home? One of the main issues of modern day life and one of the main voids that all of us feel is this desire for human connection. And I think it's the defining search for many people, especially this age of the 20s and 30s, you know, what people call it the in the stages of development in developmental psychology, it's the intimacy versus isolation. So that's, I'm 27. So I really relate to that. And I think like all my peers is we're kind of in this, we're in this stage in our lives where we, everyone craves intimacy, but we also struggle with loneliness. And this is within relationships, but especially when people are not yet married or in a committed relationship, it's felt even more. And I think that's a lot of, a lot of what drives me is tapping into that and bringing people closer connecting other people in a meaningful way, bringing people together from different friend groups. A community is different than friends. I think the difference between friends and a community is another big difference. It's like a community is really a group of people organized around like shared values and a shared goal and a shared mission. So what is that mission? I mean, I think it's the generation seven and that's who we are. And that's our mission all together, whether people are consciously going to admit it or not. We're all here for, we want to change the world. And you know, you can use whatever terms you can say, we want to bring Mashiach, or you could just say like, we really want to change the awareness, change the consciousness, bring about this new world order where people are going to just be more spiritually in tuned, more forgiving, more loving, more sharing, more positive, and we'll basically be our best selves all the time. How does someone go about consciously creating that type of community that's set around shared values? So if someone is experiencing any level of isolation, they want to be more tapped into their purpose as a community builder. What tools would you give them from your own life that has worked for you? Great question. I'm more of the exception. I don't know if everyone would do what I do, but I could tell you what I do. And then uh, maybe we can like tone it down to see what other people do. I'm very into like spreadsheets and like goals, discipline. I'm pretty like disciplined with my goals. So like for me, we have like a commitment to ourselves. I would say to host like four events a month. That's our like goal. Whatever that means could be 
as small as 10 people. But I think that really, like the real community building is not 300 people events. It's the 10 people, it's the five people, it's the 15 people. And it's also that consistency. Like you can't build a community by doing a party once, twice a year. You build a community by like literally being there for people. The thing with building community is like that one event might not really make an impact. That's the truth. And it's through continuing to see the same people over and over again and keep inviting the same people and keep connecting and reaching out. And slowly it takes time. And that's how you build a community. Warren Buffett said that we overestimate what we're going to get done in one year and we underestimate what we're going to get done in 10 years. So as much as the seventh generation has this like, you know, rush, we got to bring Mashiach ASAP. It's coming any minute. We have to be ready. So that's also true. But at the same time, we have to take the long view when it comes to community building. It doesn't happen overnight. And a real commitment to community building means being in it for the long haul. Like you're going to start relationships, especially a lot of like community building is like creating relationships. And as an adult, friendships are a lot, lot slower and you know, in high school, you could spend one weekend with someone and all of a sudden you're best friends and you see each other every day at school and you study and you stay up all night together. And that's it. You have this instant bond from like these like crazy high experiences that you have with people. But as an adult, you know, you go to a dinner, you have a cup of wine and everyone takes time to like open up and relax. And then by the time you like actually have any real conversation, it's like an hour or two in and then you only have another 20 minutes before you have to go. And I'm saying there's phones and there's different distractions. Even if it's on Shabbos, it's still... You know, there's always like that warming up and whatever, and people are not fully themselves. So yeah, the process of building relationships as an adult is a lot slower and we need to have that patience. And I think the first, second, third, you know, we just, we just have to keep, keep at it. The first thing, someone's interested in building community. It's not by saying, oh, let me throw one event. It's by saying, I'm going to make a commitment to get this group together for this purpose, this amount of times. And then you go from there, whether you, your community could look like it could be a book club. It could say, we're going to meet once a month and we're going to have six people in this book club and it's going to rotate. Maybe you want to do a cook, cooking club where you each make a potluck dinner, you know, once every other month. I, you know, there's a lot of different communities can be organized around different causes and different passions and different values. You know, if it's writing, painting, maybe it's about learning you know, that totally ties in with obviously the Rebbe's teachings of spreading custodists. Maybe you want to do some learning, but it doesn't even have to be that. I mean, it's always nice to share learning whenever people are getting together, but that's like, it could even be a side thing. I mean, the main, the main thing is the getting together is really powerful and special. And I think in and of itself, people coming together is an important thing. I love that point about consistency that a one-off event is not going to build a community, but it's kind of like something that you have to, it's like these tiny little strings that you're putting out. And then it only becomes something that people can really hang on to when it's been done so many times that it's like a strong connection between the people that are coming. Yeah. It's really true. It's like so practical, but it's true. Like if you don't do it again and again and again and again, it's not a community. I also think that the fact that it's happening consistently and you can depend on it, if you have something that you go to and you know it's going to happen at least once a month or every week or whatever it is, even if it's not the same day every week, you begin to depend on it emotionally a little bit, which is that yeah. you can rely on your community, that you're going to see them and you're going to be carried by them and you will share values on a consistent basis. Yeah, it's it's special. So you were mentioning that you have your spreadsheets and you make an effort to yeah. have four events. I love that. To have four events every month. So once you actually get to the event, 
what does it look like to create an intentional community when you actually show up at the event? Is it structured for you or it's kind of just like, I'm getting people together and then we'll see where it goes from there? I think there's a lot of anxiety around hosting. People don't necessarily share. And it's not something I realized before I started hosting that it's actually really stressful and scary and nerve wracking even as I've hosted, like I said, now it's four events a month. Like I've hosted already a hundred of hundreds of events, but every time we host, I still feel a little bit of anxiousness. That anxiousness is part of being a host and it's not, it's something to embrace. And we don't want to be a chill host. You don't want to just sit back and let everyone figure it out because that's not going to be an intentional, meaningful event. So when it comes to Shabbos meal, that's one of our, my favorite ways of hosting. It's easy. It's the end of the week. That's easy for me. It's a nice time to get together. We always try to like, yes, be very intentional about the conversation, about who sits next to whom and just the whole atmosphere and environment, the pace of the meals. We're very on top of it. We're very, we're very much like not chill. I'm not like, and my husband sits next to me and we're both the whole meal, like whispering, like, okay, should we do this now? Should we wait? Are they comfortable? Should we change this? Do we, do we need more food, less food? Should we like switch the courses that we plan? And during the meal and then before the meal, always a few things I do. So it really starts, I would say, on Wednesday uh, when we do the inviting. I try to start with like a specific demographic. I want to like bring people together who have something in common. We started doing something this year, which I love, and it's a potluck Friday night. I like it a lot because it creates a lot of buy-in from other people. It's not, I think a lot of times, something that I don't love about Shabbos meals is that and hosting in Kern Heights a little bit is that it turns into like showing off like your amazing dishes, your expensive meat and your wine and and people spend a lot of money and they make it all like there's this pressure when I eat over at friends' houses, I see it, you know, to, to have all the dips ready on the table when you come in. And it's like a whole, a whole like performance. I felt that way. Like when eating over at good friends' houses, like we're good friends. Like you don't need to make a performance, but like the first time I ate over there, it was like a whole production and it was so like unnatural or, and I would be like, Oh, what can I bring? No, don't bring anything. And it's like, come on. Like, which is fine. I'm I'm not, I'm just saying when it becomes like, that's your shop's experience. Like I kind of wanted to go beyond that. I don't want to make a performance for my guests. I want it to be a community experience where we're all creating something together. So I love the idea of Pollock because it gives everyone this chance to contribute and to kind of have like a piece of the meal. Like they're responsible. It gives everyone a little piece of hosting. It's more communal. Yeah, it definitely feels more communal. And also like as a host for me, it's just, it's a little bit of like pressure off my shoulders. It's funny, but Shabbos is one of the main cornerstones of community building. It happens every week and it's a time that everyone wants to be coming together. But it's funny that actually hosting a Friday night meal is really not feasible for most people. I mean, I work on Fridays. A lot of people work. So how are you, when are you shopping and making, I mean, to make like the kind of Shabbos meals that people expect, it's like challah, three or four dips, three or four salads, two kinds of fish, a soup. (laughs) I mean, I'm, I used to love to cook and I still do love to cook, but I have three kids. I have a job. I have a lot going on. And my dinners and a regular night are like two things, whatever I can throw together and nothing, salt and pepper. Like, and then when it comes to Shabbos, like how are you supposed to put on such a production and like dessert and fruit and this and, and like, and people do that every week all alone. And I mean, the work that it takes and I've done it and it's just so much work. I don't even think it's human. And I've had Fridays where I spend 
four or five hours on my feet, making dish after dish, following recipes, looking things up, running to the store for last minute ingredients. And this is all while like trying to feed my kids, get them bathed, make sure the house is clean. And then by the time Friday night comes, do you think I want to sit and talk to people? Like I want to run <laughs> to my bed. Yeah, my house. <laughs> I'm like falling off my feet. And I've just kind of made a pact to myself not to do that. Like I don't need it. And just to like add to that, the times that I didn't spend four or five hours cooking Friday, it's because I spent two hours on Wednesday, three, four hours Thursday night, and then another three, four hours Friday. And that's just to put together a basic, nice Shabbos meal that you would expect at anyone's house. So I'm just trying to like move beyond that because I know for myself that I can't put effort into hosting if I put so much effort into preparing the meal, which I used to. And instead, I really like try to delegate a lot of the food and just make, I make, you know, I make the mains, I make a few of the things. And then I spend a lot more energy into like the people and the conversation and the flow. So one thing I always spend time on is the seats, like where to place people. I make place cards and if we have 12 to 15 people, so like everyone will have their name and then I'll spend like a good 20, 30 minutes just configuring who will sit best next to whom. And yeah, you want to put like the extroverts, you have to kind of like disperse the extroverts. Yeah, because that's what keeps the whole table together. If you put all the extroverts and all the introverts, like the introverts will talk quietly and the extroverts will talk loudly, but you need like the cross conversation. Crossover. I like that idea of potluck so much because I feel that if community building is something that we do together, and specifically when we're redefining what it means to build a community in our generation, in generation seven, I like that the way you say that, in our seventh generation, we're doing it together. So if you're living in a firm community, if you're living in a religious community, or even if you aren't religious at all. But if you're living in any community and you want to be a community builder, not to take all the responsibility on yourself, but to kind of harness everyone else's energy and then lead the depth behind the evening and the community, but not necessarily take all the responsibility of the logistics onto yourself, which isn't really practical. Yeah, exactly. And that's really true leadership. And we see that actually the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he never really left Crown Heights. I mean, he stayed in one place. He didn't go. He could have visited. I mean, you see presidents before they get elected, they rally in all different places. And you see every time, you know, Trump does a rally, it's like, whoa, big deal. It's like celebrity spotting. And you see the effect it has. The Rebbe could have done that and had kind of the same, you know, reception in different areas and made such an impact by traveling, but he didn't. And I think that the Rebbe really was a true leader in the way that he delegated all these different children to become leaders wherever they are. And I think that we have to kind of take that to the next level. And whether we're a, hold the official title of Shleach or not, we have to all in our own communities, social circles, we have to take that responsibility upon ourselves to share with others. I want everyone to feel seen. I think that's part of not being lonely is when you feel seen because oh, you could be surrounded by people and actually your loneliness can get even worse. So I like to give everyone a chance to introduce themselves and share some of who they are. We use um, different questions. I have a whole box of different icebreaker game question, um, you know, asking someone, if you had a chance to redo your career, what would you do? If you could choose to live anywhere, where would you choose and why? And then just kind of like pass it around the table where people get to share. And that really brings the whole table together. It kind of like creates this like bond between everyone. No one really wants to introduce themselves. Everyone is a little shy and a little embarrassed and a little like, oh my God, do I really have to answer a question in front of people? But 
everyone kind of also appreciates it after the fact. So it's kind of like really what leadership is. Like you're pushing people to do things that are good for them, even when they might not want to do them. And it's hard to be that person, but that's what being a leader is. When you're a host, you're a leader. I totally relate to that as a guest. Whenever I've been at someone's house that they've done like an icebreaker question or I wanted to go around and like say something, the panic I'm immediately seized with. And then the feeling of connection that I feel after I've shared and after I hear everyone else share is unmatched to other gatherings that I've been to. So I definitely- It really really takes it up a next level. I always see the beginning of the meal conversation is like here. And then we do the activity, which like shakes everyone up and everyone's a little nervous. And sometimes (laughs) whatever, but it really like brings everyone together because we're all like a little nervous together. And then like the conversation like goes up. Like you see, like people are just get much more animated, much more together, connected. So I'm really passionate about it. I One of my goals this year, um, the year is almost over. I feel like it's already January. I mean, like the Jewish year, like by next Rosh Hashanah, I really want to develop like some of these table games and I want to print them and sell them and design them and make them like Friday night games. Like I have a whole bunch of games I'm working on, like also for after the meal, different games. I love that idea, Chava. That's so cool. Yeah, I really like it's really a mission. Like it's a mission. I want everyone to take their Shabbos meals to the next level. Like you're anyways putting in the work, you're anyways hosting, at least just make it a meaningful experience for your guests. Even if it means you feeling a little uncomfortable because you have to introduce something that's a little out of the box or you have to kind of take charge of your own meal by welcoming everyone. Yeah, that's such a good point that often we become you don't, you want everyone to just like, just feel comfortable. You don't want to push anyone out of their comfort zone, but that's not being a leader. Right. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about seventh generation because that idea of seventh generation having the responsibility to lead and take responsibility for the meaningful connection that we're fostering right. is huge. It's not just about putting everyone in the same room, but it's really about bringing the soul to the gathering. Right. Being a leader is really all about seven because seven is malchus. And it's the seventh day of the week, which is Shabbos. It's seven. It's just a special number. Seven is loved by Hashem. It's just, that's the order of creation. The seven is the Shemitah year. It's the seventh millennium, which is our time now when Mashiach is coming. And Malchus is leadership. This is our generation. We're all about leadership. The Rebbe was Malchus. The Rebbe was the leader, the quintessential leader. We all need to like, in our own way, like embody what the Rebbe stood for. And really when it says when someone says a messenger, it's they have the halachic status of being that person. It's kind of, you know, power of attorney type of thing. Like we, we have to embody the Rebbe in our lives and be that leader in our own social circles, community, friend groups, gatherings, whether you're an introvert, whether you're an extrovert, whether you're into religion, whether you're not into religion, whatever you're into, you have to kind of take leadership and bring people together. And that's our obligation. It's literally our mission. Mm-hmm. It's the mission. We were given a mission. The Rebbe gave us a mission. We're the seventh generation. It's up to us to bring Mashiach. What does that mean? It means that the world is a dark place. There's a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of sadness. Adulting is really tough. People are anxious, stressed, depressed, disconnected, addicted to their phones. You know, we have all these kind of issues in our generation, whether it's jealousy and tension and all these things that will not be here when Mashiach comes. Mashiach is just that shift in consciousness. It's basically me being my best self all the time, you being your best self all the time. And together, all of us kind of living in harmony and not talking over each other, but like singing together, that kind of like 
oneness with each other, oneness with ourselves, not feeling like fragmented and, and rushed and stressed and not sure where I am and who I am. But And that's really what Shabbos is all about, kind of bringing that back to the Shabbos meals because Shabbos is that mini taste of Mashiach and Hasidus is that mini taste of Mashiach. Oh my gosh, Chava, that's so beautiful how everything that you're saying is so connected. You began by speaking about the seventh generation having a responsibility to lead, basically to lead the revolution of connection and the revolution of living our best selves daily and helping others do that through community building and using Shabbos as like the focus point for doing that in our own lives is a very relatable thing that I think a lot of, a lot of us can integrate. It's, it's easy. Definitely, it's easy. Exactly. It happens anyway, every week. So it's a really good place to start with community building and with leadership and with bringing people together and with basically carrying out that mission of generation seven, what better way to start than with the seventh day of the week? Yeah, exactly. And like you said, if you're anyways gathering together for Shabbos, you may as well make it meaningful. I feel like we can reveal Mashiach in our own way through our own methods. It's not always so clear cut as a ram's horn and clouds and uh, eagle and going to Yerushalayim. We could fulfill the revelation of Mashiach with one Shabbos meal, with one phone call, with one event with one book club, with one WhatsApp group. And that's the mission of Generation 7. It's up to each and every one of us. To be more connected. Exactly. I love it. Thank you, Chava. Thanks for your time. Despite both of our babies, we made it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, sure. For sure. It's been real. Elokai zakinina betoratcha uvimitotecha Mechamberet nishmati tamidelecha Mechamber, mechamber tamidelecha Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can find me on Instagram at the Tanya Project or via email at humanandholy at gmail.com. Yud is the day that the Lubavitcher Rebbe accepted the role of leader of the seventh generation. Perhaps it can also be the anniversary of your acceptance of that very same role. I think at times we paint terms like shliach or leader with really black and white strokes. And in doing so, exempt ourselves from participating in our generation's mission, which is to be a leader wherever we find ourselves and in whatever capacity we can. Being a leader of light does not only mean moving across the world to open a Chabad center. Sometimes it means hosting a Shabbos meal and leading that table with meaning and depth Sometimes shlichos means uprooting your life, but just as often, it means planting roots where you are, building a community of just 10 people in your neighborhood, and together moving towards a more connected and godly life.